0: Let's go ahead and get this underberg inside of us before we kind of move forward. I know,
1: we need to I think we need to perk
0: up a little bit. Always like. a wonderful way to kind of uh, lighten, brighten, kind of get
1: things moving. That's what it's designed for. Not good to mess I think mine's corked.
0: I don't think it can be corked. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know. All right, folks, <laughs> welcome back to Pocket Liquor.
0: Thanks for joining us again. We're extremely happy to be back in be back in action, be back in a recording game. We got some cool things to talk about today. We sure do.
1: Episode eleven. Uh, we're actually recording from Brandon Plyler's abode this time for the first time. So, the uh, the acoustics, I think, are um, they're more warm and and welcoming. I like it.
0: It's nice. I like it, man. It's a cool spot. I mean, your your place is always wonderful and. Um, I love old houses and I love downtown Charleston, but you know, this is a pretty, pretty sealed up nice little condo kind of heading out to Sullivan's Island. It's probably the closest I'll ever live to the beach in real life. So I'm enjoying it while I'm here. I mean, you might as well be on the beach. I would say you do. Yeah. Five minute car ride to toes in the sand very into that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we've got a number of things that we want to talk about today that we're very excited about. First of all, there's some big news in the Belgian beer world. Plyler, do you want to uh, go in a little bit more detail on what we're talking about?
0: Yeah, the Guardian uh, just uh, put a piece out uh, about a kind of this old Abbey style or Abbey type brewery that has been brewed by a large brewer. I believe it's either Carlsberg or Heineken's been brewing their beer for a while. Um, and this is, it's an interesting relationship because we're seeing this move in a direction that you rarely ever see. So here's what we're talking about. Uh, we've talked about Trappist breweries before on the show. And essentially those are actual monasteries who produce beer. Uh, and there's, there's a few like big rules that they have to uh, kind of adhere to in order to carry that trappist stamp but one thing we always kind of talk about on the program is that trappist is not necessarily a style of beer so even though like double triple quadruple those uh beers you might be familiar with they have their roots there they're also made by a lot of different breweries that don't have a monastic connection there's also what we kind of call abbey breweries so that is a brewery who is making a brand of beer or a family of beers that are, they're using, they're using like the marketing devices, maybe the name of an order, the name of an Abbey. Usually you'll see a monk or maybe some stained glass or some sort of, you know, pseudo religious motif on the label uh, to kind of allude to that, but it's not actually an Abbey. So generally what, what you'll see is actual orders that are not really staffed or equipped to run a brewery and they are licensing out their name and their uh, any sort of symbolism that they have. They're licensing that out to another brewery to produce that beer. What's really interesting with Grimbergen is that for years that's been an Abbey-type brewery made by a big concern. Now that is reverting kind of back to an actual Abbey. So that is really just a, a fascinating move. Um, I'm not quite sure if they're gunning for a Trappist designation or not. Uh, but it's really it. it it's something that's I, I think it's very cool, and I think it's very indicative of like a very positive move that we're seeing, not only with uh, the world of brewing, but also seeing with moving back into a tradition and moving. Uh, it, for me personally, it's the direction I like to see things moving in.
1: And so they've they've resurrected a recipe um, through like you know copious amounts of uh, record you know digging and sifting through all these things to recreate something that was made, how long, like two plus hundred years yeah, ago? Yeah, they're,
0: they're claiming like 220 years ago, uh, and with uh, with old brewing records, it's really interesting because typically you're going to run into two big kind of issues. Uh, number one, the language that that recipe is written at, so if it's something that old, it's probably written in Latin, it's probably written in an older vernacular of Latin that a lot of folks might not be able to, uh, uh, you know, interpret correctly and kind of get the information out the other thing is that you know with old with old brewing records an issue that you have is that the brewers at the time weren't necessarily making notations for themselves that explains the way that we kind
1: of talk about beer these days like the nuances and like how they, you know, how long they boil or how long, you know. Things, you know.
0: yeah, things like that. Uh, also, uh, gravities on beer. So like measuring how much mm-hmm. uh, extractable, like fermentable sugar things are getting from it. Um, well, they
1: didn't have a way to do that back then.
0: Yeah, well, they th- there are some ways, but at that time they were probably a lot cruder than what we're using now. I mean, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that was just an empirical thing that was done and hey, you know. Why do you brew beer this way? Well, this is the way we learned to brew beer. And there's a lot of details and nuance and things that aren't, you know, you're not going to find many recipes from that long ago. They're going to say, oh, you know, we hopped it to this IBU level. You know, they that might not have been like a term at the time that was uh, it was used a lot. They wouldn't know that.
1: Yeah. I mean you think international bittering it's like what nations are we comparing our beers to <laughs> right oh absolutely absolutely there's no international community of brewers right now it's just us man <laughs> and
0: and you'll read old things where you know they they use old units of measurement uh you know you look at old british recipes are talking about uh, like bushels or quarters of grain per water so well,
1: whose whose bushel are you using yeah yeah so so kind
0: of like sussing all that out is not always easy there's some great writers out there ron patterson is uh one of my favorites uh he's a british guy who lives in holland i believe uh and i have a ton of his books they're really cool and he will source you know primary source information so actual old records and he will kind of interpret and transcribe those and put those into terms that we see today that we're looking for as far as like gravity and ibu he gives a little more information on yeast but even then at that time like what was yeast where were they sourcing it from were they single strains that's all really kind of fuzzy stuff
1: huh that's very interesting very cool thing so uh we had a question from uh one of our (laughs) listeners uh our our very good friend uh will causey uh great guy by the way probably
0: Um, our biggest fan um and if you if you feel that you are in fact our biggest fan, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at pocketlicker at gmail.com. And, and let us know. <laughs> and just let us know if you have any questions or, you know, affirmations or if you got complaints or protests. You know, we're 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 into the field and all those. Well, I
1: mean, he he's maybe he's not like our biggest fan, but he's definitely our coolest fan. He's our coolest fan he's, for sure. He's always just really fun to to see and, and hang out with. He got us a he got us a beautiful painting of an Underberg bottle. Uh, just just because uh, he's absolutely just he's just, amazing. A, he's just a super nice guy so he uh asked Playa this question regarding uh using old 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 bottles to uh and like like culturing yeast out of these bottles to create beers today oh what, what what's going on with that uh
0: you'll you'll see these stories I mean I, I recently uh somebody released a piece on this and uh and honestly in my my experience in the beer world, every few years you see something like this that kind of pops up, and it's like oh so and so you know unearth this bottle. Um, Goods in England famously makes a, uh, a porter. I think I believe it's called Black Butt Porter. Um, butt is an, uh, an old measurement of uh, of the size of a barrel, mm-hmm. so that's kind of where that comes from. And they famously cultured that yeast from uh, shipwreck bottles uh, from 1825, I believe the 1820s, uh, and they these bottles up, but they were buried in the Thames River, and they managed to yeah find bottles that were intact that weren't flooded with seawater, and they cultured up the yeast strain there, and that's what they used to ferment the beer with.
1: That's insane. So. I know a little bit about microbiology, but something that's been down there for that long, like yeast can live that long? Or are they just sort of, is there a way to, re- how do you revive that? Like it's, they, it's alive <clears throat> or is it just dormant?
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they can certainly go dormant. Um <clears throat> And there's there, there's different old brewing cultures where the, there's some, if you guys get, ever get into like Kvike yeast, which is K-V-I-K, it's this new kind of uh, Scandinavian farmhouse yeast is coming up. And ha- and we'll, we'll talk about that later at some point because that's a whole other road to go down. But um, the storage method for the yeast is essentially they will they will have a wooden structure that they're submersing in the wort that has that yeast living in it, and that will inoculate it. And then they'll just pull it out and let it dry. And that's fine. Some brewers of Kveik uh, in that part of the world, they will actually... They will take the yeast after they're done fermenting a beer. They'll spread it on wax paper, put it in an oven, a low oven to dry it. And when they're done with it, they just fold it up and throw it in the freezer. And when they're ready to brew beer again and ferment it, they'll pull it out, pull a couple chunks out, and toss it in, and it fires right back up. So it's really interesting how that works.
1: That's crazy. That uh, the yeast we don't think about it. You know, we talk about there's there's bacteria that's like you know been found at the you know the bottom of like old nuclear reactors and you know bacteria that you know went into space and back and you know made it it's pretty crazy that yeast something that we is so common and just all around us is so durable and like basically you know almost immortal unless you purposely kill it with heat or you know you know sanitizing or something chemical or something Yeah, yeah that's I never really thought about that like that. It's, it's really interesting
0: where, and and this kind of, this kind of harkens back to the, the gray, the fuzzy gray area I was talking about before. What really gets interesting is that we're talking about yeast that comes from a time where breweries weren't able to like source, like pure culture, like organisms from a lab, uh, that was growing them up and sending them out in, um, you know, sanitary, uh, sanitary closed conditions. So they wouldn't be contaminated. Uh, you know, back in the day, I mean, brewers were swapping yeast all the time. I know that sounds crazy because you imagine these like proprietary breweries, proprietary yeast strains, that would have been like a big deal for what they were making. But honestly, I mean, if you were a farmhouse brewer in Belgium and your Saison yeast or whatever, like went kaput and you didn't have fermentation, you would hit up your neighbor and say, Hey man, you know, I need to ferment some beer. Can you help me out? And that guy would give you, you know, some of his yeast slurry, some of his yeast culture, mm-hmm. whatever. So you can um, kick it back up. Yeah. Same thing happened in England as well. Uh, brewers would uh, they w- they would trade yeast all the time. I mean, it was I don't want to say it was like a commodity, but it was one of those things. Like they were more concerned with other elements. Well, It's kind of like borrowing uh, a other, cup of sugar. Sure, know? of course. And they
1: and I, I doubt that they. Well, I mean, obviously, different breweries have their own, like, nuanced flavors and that they're known for. And I assume that they figured out that was because of their particular yeast that they're using. But I, obviously, they don't know the microbiology behind it at this time. And that makes me kind of wonder, like, what other sort of funky things could be in that yeast that they're pulling out of the Thames River? <laughs> like, well, I mean, no. what else could be in there that's, that's like, dormant? And I'm not talking about, like, the, like, the Black Plague or anything like that. But, right. you know, like that was long before, but, uh, I wonder what else is in there. Like what other bacteria and stuff are they reviving with, along with the yeast? If any, it's just an interesting thing. And that's, what's really
0: fascinating about it is, is if these folks are swapping yeast around all the time, there's not a pure culture. So what is actually fermenting the beer? It's probably not one organism. It's probably at least two or three, if not more things That are actually in that slurry, in that culture, that are doing the heavy lifting for fermentation and flavor development. Uh, And it would have been, I would say nearly, I don't want to say nearly impossible, but it would have been impossible for those guys to like really cordon off that organism and keep it as their own thing. They didn't have labs back then. They weren't able to do that. They didn't have microscopes. I mean, they didn't know what it was. Yeah. They didn't know what it was. I (laughs) mean, prior they they knew that it fermented beer and they needed that. But, you know, prior to Louis Pasteur's work uh, in the 19th century and microscopes, like folks just had no idea what was actually in that. Uh, So that is, that is another thing that's fascinating Uh, in culturing yeast from these old bottles. It's like, what did survive? And if you are prop prop, propping up is a term we use, and it just means propagation. So, uh, it's like a sourdough starter. You take a little bit of yeast, and you basically feed that yeast, and that yeast will replicate itself several mm-hmm. times over, and uh, in mass double. I'm uh, not not double. I mean, increase its mass by like two thirds. It's pretty crazy. Uh, it'll it'll just. If you've ever home brewed beer, you know that you can toss in like a tube of like liquid yeast to your five gallon batch of beer, and when it's done fermenting, there's like maybe four or five fingers of just yeast sediment sitting in the bottom of your fermenter. So where did all that come from? that comes from those yeast like dividing and replicating Mm -hmm. and just increasing their mass to continue to consume those sugars. So what are they fermenting that with? It's really interesting to know that.
1: And you know what, you know, along what did they, they knew like a little bit about like they're, they're using yeast, but that yeast back then, like it was surely full of a, A bajillion other microorganisms, like as far from, quote unquote, clean, just pure yeast as you could get. I mean, (laughs) they they threw their poop in the streets for crying out loud. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even
0: even these days, you know, you'll you'll still you'll still hear things in the brewing industry every once in a while uh, where somebody got some strain from one of the big yeast houses. um, And we're talking generally like White Labs or White Yeast. Those are two big ones. And every once in a while, you know, there's something that goes out that's contaminated with something else, and of course that breeds consternation in the brewing world. Uh, but you know, those those labs aren't perfect; they're not a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, and it's also, you know, how do you, as a brewer, who maybe you bought something that could have been from like come from those those big labs, but how are you to prove that it's not from your lab having improper sanitation right. or you know? just, you know, someone not washing their hands or something, you know, like, because sure. it, I mean, as we've just said, like, it doesn't take much to, you know, breed small microorganisms, like single cell organisms, uh, you know, th- th- in the right conditions, which is what you are creating when you're creating right. beer. You're giving them sugar and warmth and, you know, whatever it's, anyway, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny to think and think about how many... Beer styles, like I think of, like Goza being one that, like, maybe that beer is a style because someone made it once and it just got away from them with some sort of funky something or other getting in there, and now it's popular.
0: Right. Oh, well, totally. I mean, if you kept beer, it, back in the day, if you if your beer wasn't strong in alcohol or you didn't add a lot of hops to it, it was not a keeping beer. So low low bitterness, low alcohol beers, those were table beers, running beers. You will hear some different uh, kind of terms for it. But those were beers that were meant to be consumed very fresh, very soon. Yeah. Uh, there, there's some, there's some outliers there. Like, well, uh, I mean
1: that that was how people hydrated. I mean, we've talked about this before, but mm-hmm. you couldn't drink the water in Europe in you know the, most of the middle like I can't shit like the Middle Ages through you know fairly recent history. So. Beer was the only way to go because it had at least been cooked and boiled and like at, some of the bad stuff was taken out of it. Yeah, or, I mean
0: if <clears throat> if the beer if the beer was boiled it was pasteurized or if the wort rather if the wort was boiled yeah. it was pasteurized uh and that was like a safe uh a safe beverage um safer safer the lower the lower pH of the beer plus alcohol kind of made it uh not very inviting towards like bad bacteria and also it kept for a little while longer but if you kept a beer at warmer temperatures for any length of time, it would eventually start to kind of turn sour on you. Yeah, Goza and Berliner Weiss are great examples of that story.
1: So so we've talked about this plenty of times. Imagine you have a time machine and you go back to, say, Germany, somewhere in Germany. It wasn't Germany then, but like 1400s sometime, and you drink the beer. Don't you think odds are it's probably got a sour taste to it? yeah if it was old it's enough probably sure. probably normal for that right probably very normal yeah because you think about there's i mean there's breweries in every little town not not every little town but most towns say you're in a place that's a little bit away from a brewery by the time it gets to you it's been a while you had to travel on a cart you know for a week to get to you or whatever yeah it's probably you probably only tasted sour beer that's kind of the story of goza i mean it was produced in- however the water was probably at least a little bit safer there because you weren't in a big city probably safer. You know, I'm just spitballing I'm not no no no
0: but you see those like uh, you look at all these waterborne il- illnesses I mean cholera is a big one like cholera if, if you don't have good water sanitation I mean you yeah, could you're have done. a huge outbreak that could devastate uh, devastate a
1: city for sure yeah for sure and uh, you know then again you know think about life expectancy back then is only hell probably less than 40 years old average I don't know anyway. Could you
0: imagine we're both near death
1: well... In the 1400s? I mean, we're both near death in the... Anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's within our control. Yeah, let's be honest. I'm joking. Uh, Well, that's fascinating stuff. Mini bottles. Airplane Air, bottles. Airplane bottles. The, especially for us in South Carolina, they... Used to be a very big part of people's lives before I moved here. I, so I, I include myself something that I'm not really. It, it predates it, it
0: predates me by a few years.
1: I have to still deal with the consequences of these laws. So, for those of you who don't know, up until 2005, after I think it was 1978 to 2005, the state of South Carolina was only allowed to serve liquor in mini bottles. And basically 1.7 ounce little tiny but replicas of your favorite brands. Jack Daniels, Bombay Sapphire, Grand Marnier. Grandma, baby. <sighs> That's got a following here. No, nothing wrong with Grand Marnier. Um, but this culture of having to order your drinks. Uh, you want a Tanqueray and Tonic. You crack open a Tanqueray, little Tanqueray bottle and you get get your mixer on the side. That's uh, it's it's a it's sort of like uh, what's a good way to put this? It's like the appendix of the prohibition era. Like you don't really need these rules. It's just kind of silly, and it's just kind of how it was. Um, I know that the appendix actually has been proven recently to actually have some uh, benefit to the human physique. it's not an evolutionary leftover after all yeah it's, i don't know anyway so what,
0: what does it do do you know
1: it stores uh, some it, it, it's like it stores bacteria that okay. uh, is is helpful for your gut keeping keeping things even
0: yeah i'm sure consuming a lot of mini bottles is really good for that bacteria i think i think we have culture. appendixes
1: uh because of yeah drinking too many mini bottles of grand marnier yeah could be we can re re populate your gut with the right bacteria after a night
0: so could you imagine going to a bar and every drink you get uh and the, the, the proponents of this and there's some definitely some old school folks here that love the fact that quote unquote they would get you know a guaranteed amount of spirit in their cocktails and they thought that like by seeing the bartender uh open that mini bottle and i've known old old school bartenders here in charleston who talk about having like some sort of like padded device on their hands when they were bartending to actually open all those little bottles without, like, just destroying their fingers. Yeah. If you can imagine opening... Oh, I... Yeah. Uh, can you imagine opening, like, 200 of those in a night?
1: Well, I used to, you know, be twisted open, you know, bud lights, you know, all night, and I quickly got over that. Oh, yeah. and Destroy your hands. Yeah, yeah. you got to pop those open with a... With a mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that being a very necessary thing, because anyone who's ever opened a mini bottle, like, it's not super easy. Definitely not convenient. Not convenient. And if you want to make a cocktail like with more than one ingredient i'm sorry like you're fucked it basically ridiculous. Mean,
0: it basically means that cocktail culture for decades could not exist here
1: no uh, uh, uh you know up you know after 2005 when they lifted that law there were places in town that you know started making classic cocktails again once they could you know quote-unquote free pour and you don't have to open for 17 different bottles, yeah. bottles you know for one ticket of cocktails
0: And just to clarify, folks, if you were a private citizen, you could totally go to a liquor store and buy bottles of liquor, and take them to your house, and you can make your own drinks. That that's that's was totally okay, but with the mini bottles, that was limiting restaurants to that policy. But you also think about this, and as long as I've been in the restaurant business. You can definitely see a lot of trends as far as like what you can find at the liquor store. A lot of that is driven by the restaurants that are around you. So if you live in a place that has a good, like kind of thriving restaurant cocktail scene, you'll see all sorts of cool like Amaros and Bitters and you'll see Chartreuse. I mean, there was a time, I I shouldn't say this, there's a time in my life in North Carolina where it was totally easier to get drugs than it was a bottle of chartreuse because the state run <laughs> liquor store wouldn't carry it. And you would yeah. go try to special order it. And they were like, well, you know, we don't know what that is. And, uh, unless you can order a case of it, which, you know, I mean, who buys full cases of chartreuse,
1: dude, I, I cut my teeth in Mississippi. And there, I mean, it's gotten better there, but not a whole lot since I've left. It's It took me, at one time, I ordered a six-pack of Carpano Antica, which is a workhorse, very standard sweet vermouth for cocktail bars to have. It took me six months to get it. That's how, that's just how the state worked. If they didn't carry it, they didn't give a shit. Right. It was uh, dark times. We couldn't, we couldn't get Fernet Branca. We couldn't get Chartreuse. We couldn't get Decent Vermouth. We couldn't get... Uh, you know, there's a there's a host of gins. We got we had a pretty decent bourbon selection, but it was uh, the only bitters we could get was Angostura. We had to like order pechos on uh, on Amazon, or we would just and most of the time we just bootleg stuff from Memphis. Right, it's
0: maddening. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I guess for for laws like that, and this is th- this is always a great kind of source of like conversation in bars and restaurants that. You know, there are these silly alcohol laws kind of everywhere and people, and, and I'm telling you right now, and I, I don't want to necessarily speak for Jace, although I, I believe we we are simpatico on this, but people want to blame some sort of like Bible belt religious conspiracy in kind of hampering that and sculpting a lot of those laws. And I do believe that that plays a role in it,
1: but honestly, most of the time it's a politician hiding behind that.
0: Correct. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, the, there is, uh, I'm not going to like get into names or super details, but there is a, there is a legislator here in, in, uh, in South Carolina that was keeping this law from getting past. He filibustered the state, uh, the state Senate to keep this law from passing. He was a beer wholesaler. So uh, like loosening the liquor laws here was going to hurt his business because he already had it in his pocket to sell tons of beer because drinking liquor was a pain in the ass.
0: Right that that totally happened in in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. It happened in Mississippi, uh, and, in Mississippi before like yeah. beer laws were changed to allow beers that were stronger in alcohol. That was what you heard, you heard all of these uh, wholesalers who uh, had very strong lobbies and very the, strong ties to in the legislature who were like, "Hey, you know, we don't want this law to pass." You know, th- this thing that is going to give customers more choice and more availability as adults they should totally have. We're gonna limit that because it's not good for my business.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and that, that happens. I mean, and they'll they, they they will change laws. I mean, we're getting into a whole blue laws thing here. But like in in uh, in Oxford, where I was living, you couldn't get you couldn't buy beer cold at a gas station or a grocery store. It had to be sold warm on the counter because apparently the guy who was mayor or something like that a few terms before I showed up owned all the ice machines at the gas station where you can fill up your cooler. And guess what? You need to get your beer cold. Oh how fantastic! Huh. How, how fantastic. about that? <laughs> It's how just wonderful. it's just the city limits. Like you could buy cold beer outside the city limits and in the county. Um, or actually, no, you couldn't in the county because it was a dry county. But Oxford was Oxford was wet. It's and then on Sundays we'd have to go to the next county to buy beer, and it was cold because uh, it was that was a wet county. It's, it's just crazy, madness. Yeah. yeah, just local politics, y'all. Get, make sure you show up at your ballot box if you want things to change. Um, but anyway, back to the mini bottles thing. So that established a culture here in Charleston of people splitting shots. So if you want to buy a round of shots for, you know, your buddies, you wouldn't want to go and, and buy three mini bottles of Patron, because that'll set you back probably, th- you know, 30, 40, 50 sure. bucks, depending on where you're at. And so what, what you would do is you're like, hey, can I just get two Patrons three ways? Or two Patrons, four ways or three, five ways, four, six ways. And that was just how you ordered. Like, can I get, uh, one grandma, two ways or three grandmas, five ways, you know, whatever you decided the arithmetic, (laughs) whatever you wanted the, it's like, it's like picking your time signature in, in booze.
0: (laughs) You can still, you know, there are still Uh, places, still places here. You know, uh, um, I was down at one of my favorite watering holes here in town, the Griffin. And they, I mean, I think, I don't know if they have a sign or anything, but, I think they may have a sign that says we don't split shots
1: because when you buy those mini bottles that you could totally like just split them into shots and take them to your table. And that's just how it works. My, the first day we were officially open at Edmund's Oast after all the soft openings, the first two dudes that sat down ordered a couple beers, like the first guys i waited on a couple beers. And then he asked me, can I get one grandma two ways? Never heard this vernacular in my life. <laughs> I, I made a triple take. It's like, right. what did you say? It's like, can I get one grandma two ways? I don't know what you're saying, man. Like it's another, want,
0: it's a total, it's another language. Another you culture. want
1: two shots of Marnier and he's like, I mean, kind of but like, so I poured him two shots of Marnier, and he was, he was like, I could tell he like, wasn't thrilled when he got his bill. I was like, we're off to a great start here. But <laughs> it's like, I didn't know, I didn't know that was a thing here. And it, it totally is. And some bars cater to it. It doesn't, I don't get asked that a whole lot, but occasionally I do. And it's just kind of like, man, you know, we don't.
0: Well, and, and we that's th- not really how it so, works. So the <laughs> thing that's crazy about this so when, when did the restaurant open? Uh, that
1: was 2014.
0: 2014. February 14th. When, when, did, when did the law change to allow bars to free pour out of like large, normal size bottles of booze? 2005. Two thousand five. Still a culture here, though, and it's still there. It's still in place. People I, I still hate to use go it. out. Culture is the them.
1: wrong word. I I strike that. It's still a thing here.
0: It's still an annoying thing here. Yeah,
1: it's the wrong culture. is not what it is. It's Sorry. the opposite of that. <laughs> no uh, disorder. Uh, listen, if you want shots, there. Depending on where you go, some places will have a, a price for like a neat pour or a shot or you know your definition of what a shot versus a this or that or a full, you know drink a highball for example which we're going to talk about in a second like those those can be different but i don't know charleston can you just get over the splitting shots thing
0: you're not preserving anything awesome no for sure
1: you're not keeping anything that
0: i mean i maybe some folks found that to be very charming and when they left maybe they left and went to different places i remember being a bartender in north carolina and having folks uh, from Charleston who would ask for things like that, or they would ask for Grand Marnier. I remember a guy who came into the restaurant um, I was bartending at, at the time, and he's like, "Hey, ma'am, can I get can I get a shot of Grand Marnier? And I'm, I'm like, "Well, of course." So I got a snifter. And I got the bottle of Grand Marnier down because Did you get a
1: candle out and warm it up and everything. Uh, I don't know about the candle, but you know, I,
0: I enjoyed Grand Marnier, and I always had it. I mean, it's it's a brandy based liqueur, a brandy based liqueur with uh, oranges and sugar, cognac based. And I've I had always understood that you would put in a snifter, warm it up your with your hand, and you would kind of enjoy that after dinner, or it was it, it was a component of like a top shelf margarita. I made mean, a ton of yeah, top shelf yeah, yeah. margaritas with a little bit of grandma in it. The guy's like, Yeah, I want a shot of grandma, and I had no idea what he was talking about. Then we got through the fact that just
1: housed it like probably all in one. Well, one that separate. was the
0: thing. Like I poured it in a snifter and handed it to him, and he looked at me like I was nuts. And then he knocked <laughs> it out and I looked at him like he was nuts. And it was this very odd thing. And he's like, I'm from Charleston. And I'm like, All right, well, that sounds great. You're nuts down there. That's is what it is, I guess.
1: that is just absolutely brutal and way too early in the year for us not way too early but like three weeks too early it's still may and we're already hitting triple digit temperatures here uh and it's been happening all week so what have you been drinking besides copious amounts of ice water uh let's deal with that
0: pints of warm manhattan uh, (laughs) for for the most part yeah just don't
1: just just put the liquor in there and yeah i need my
0: overproof rye. yeah sugar vermouth yeah just all of that that's speaking of which if
1: you don't mind no man go for it yeah 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 Um, we're here to taste that yeah so it's just been absolutely brutally hot here and uh yeah so we wanted to talk about how how do you drink? Oh, how, so how do you get through this? How do you drink when it's oppressively
0: hot? Because you have a few different things that you really need to kind of pay attention to. Uh, number one is that, especially if you live in a place that has a lot of humidity, you you're not sweating is not cooling you down. So if you guys, <laughs> well, I mean, if you guys know how sweating works, yeah. uh, your body sweats, and the idea is that the air around you. Um, which hopefully is dry will cause that sweat to evaporate. And that evaporation on the surface of your skin is what kind of cools you down, cools you off. But when it's like 90% humidity,
1: not a lot of evaporation happening, no
0: evaporation is happening. You're not cooling down. So your body is working overtime to continue to sweat, to cool itself down and you are dehydrating, but you're not cooling down. So thinking about like your water consumption thinking about what you're drinking and how that's going to affect you, uh, has, uh, I mean, it's a big, it, it's kind of a big deal. And I mean, it could be just like cold, cheap lager. I mean, mm-hmm. we're big High Life fans. Uh, if you guys are into the like little seven ounce pony bottles of High Life. Oh man, a
1: pony, that's the only way to do it. Cause if you're outside for more than 30 seconds, that pony, you know, that the 12 ounce bottle is going to get warm.
0: It's going to get warm. So yeah, that beer stays cold out all at once. As, as you're drinking it. So that's a great way to do that. Uh, and also there's, there's a selection of like long drinks, kind of quote unquote uh, that you can make and still enjoy yourself, but also have a little more control over how you hydrate yourself and how you kind of stay refreshed. Because, folks, I'm telling you this right now: if you are hot and you are sweaty and you are drinking alcohol to refresh yourself, you are going to a dark place.
1: Yeah, it's going to get bad, going to get real bad. And you know, there's—I'm not saying that you can't, you know, enjoy, you know, a neat pour bourbon like we're about to. Yes. we're inside though right now and we have water.
0: We're inside, so, we have water and we yeah, it's fine.
1: Yeah, but uh, the long drink or the highball is a great option throughout the summer. Uh, we've been enjoying uh, this scotch and soda um, that uh, Plyler's been making uh, has, has made me. It's it's great. you you're lengthening your product as much as you want. You can make it as strong or as weak as you want. The, that carbonated soda water. You know, is is hydrating and uh, it just works, and it's cold. That's the biggest thing. Like, I mean, you've right. got to have something cold. I mean, even something that's shaken and ice cold, like a daiquiri, doesn't really cut it because after a couple minutes, like it's warmed up, and it's it's hard to you know hard to get down. You need sure, something, you know, icy mint juleps are popular for a reason. Yes, you know, there that ice packed in there keeps it cold. It you know and you know something to help hold in your hand and kind of. You know, it just it really takes the edge off of the absolutely oppressive heat. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been here in July or August when it just doesn't stop. Um, but we're getting it in May, so we're scared and we're we're looking for relief.
0: Um I'm being positive, man. I think that we're I think that we're just hopefully fingers crossed, getting it out of the way early. Uh I've certainly lived here where we've had some some mild like like July August being milder months where it's not it's still hot, but it's not no rain plus you know, 110 degree heat index. Um, and, you know, we're by the ocean. So the humidity here is always a thing. I've actually been fascinated to run into people from the northeast and Midwest who are like, oh, I didn't know it got humid down south. I thought it was just hot. And that was
1: a mind blowing thing. What? I'm like, we invented humidity. <laughs> kidding <This> me? Is... <laughs> we... You ever grown a hydrangea up there? There's a reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You kidding
0: me? So, so the highball, what we're talking about, what we're drinking now, scotch and soda, it is a, a tall glass. Like, start with a, a larger, big glass. You'll see maybe uh, like a Collins glass or something. Collins glass is what you want. Yeah. Which is what you would see for this. Uh, right now, that metal clanking that you've heard uh, kind of earlier, I have a hydro flask kind of insulated uh, metal cup that I drink out of. Yeah. And uh, you put ice in there. and you know if you have a sure shot pour spout uh, or a jigger uh, you can pour the same amount of booze into your drink every single time and then you can add as much ice or soda as you kind of see fit and you can kind of drink that and enjoy enjoy the flavor and also you know feel the effects of the alcohol but you know you're hydrating yourself and you're not completely falling apart mm-hmm. and the soda water makes it refreshing and bubbly and kind of fun And it's really good. And the other thing, there's also no, there's not a lot of sugar in
1: that. There's none. I mean, besides whatever you're putting in, like as far as besides the the booze, yeah, yeah, besides the booze. You know,
0: um, I love gin and tonics, but there's also a good bit of sugar in tonic water. So it's something to think about if you're, you know, going on a gin and tonic bender when it's super hot outside. And that's a very refreshing
1: drink. It it is. Um, and that's why I love companies like, uh, like Jack Rudy, who again is not paying me. Uh, but with you buy a bottle of Jack Rudy tonic syrup, you can add just a touch of that, like just a kiss and then top it off with soda adds a little bit of that tonic flavor without being like right. overly sweet or anything, but still, you know, you still have that like gin and tonic kind of thing going on, which, you know, with a squeeze of lime or lemon, I actually like lemon. I'm, I'm kind of side with the British on that.
0: No, that's fine. I like lemon too.
1: Um, it, it's, it's incredibly refreshing. And again, another thing, you know, we're drinking Scotch and soda now, but like sticking with the clear spirits, you know, you're, listen gin vodka rum blanco tequila blanco tequila tequila is really what we should all be drinking if we want yeah. to live to be C- C- 100
0: yeah and t- t- tequila and soda as far as like a highball is really nice and a highball to my understanding is essentially just a spirit plus ice plus soda water
1: yeah and you can expand that to include uh you know other mixers if you if you like you know a, a rum and coke it's arguably a highball but right. if someone orders a rum highball for me i'm gonna which has literally never happened right uh, no, one, no one's actually said can i get a let me get a <laughs> i'm me my 12 highball son I Was like are you you're too old to drink i think sir uh, i don't know if i'm gonna serve you um <clears throat> Never never would say that to anyone i would be I would be blown away and probably shake that person's hand.
0: I would be so happy to find like an 80 <laughs> 90 year old who's just coming to the border Ordering highballs. yeah, I want a highball I was like, yes, sir. Yes, yeah, ma'am. We will make that happen for you. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. I, I made a Tom Collins at that pop-up I was just talking about. Someone ordered like two or three Tom Collins. I was so happy to make those. Oh man, and when's the last time a, you see that? Wow. Well, it's. I mean, it, it's once in a blue moon. Um, it it's it's such a good, easy, straightforward drink. There's a reason it's a classic. Just you know, a little sugar, lemon, soda, gin. Oh man, they're really really good. That's a that's a great cool you off drink. If you want a little, if you want to give them the old razzle dazzle, uh, and, that's and a. And what, what what
0: what a great way to test your bartender. I mean, if you go to a fancy cocktail joint, go in and order a classic. I mean, I mean, a sazerac for me is kind of my barometer. But go in there and order a Tom Collins and just say, I mean, they any bar should have everything they need to make that cocktail. If they,
1: if they don't have that, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you gotta leave. I mean, it's not like <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, it, like listen, I'm not gonna you know there are definitely places I'm not going to walk into and order a Tom like if I'm at a brewery that happens to have a liquor license or something like that I'm not ordering a Tom Collins right that's kind of a dick move it's not what they're there for they're here to pour flights and you know tell you everything they know about their beer which is probably extensive knowledge but you're kind of an asshole if you order if you if you ordered a Sazerac or you know Tom Collins or something like that just be like hey just get a shot of whiskey and shut up what, what is disappointing, <laughs> though, is when you go to a place that does
0: seem to have all those things. Right. And it's like, yeah, we don't have the stuff to make that. And it's like, OK, I well, kinda, I kind of see that you have the stuff to make it. Yes. But you told me that, which means you don't know how to make it. So Buffalo Trace on the Rocks is just fine for me.
1: Folks here at home, please stay inside. Drink lots of water and uh if you need to take the edge off, make sure it has lots of water in it too, I guess, is the moral yeah. of that story. Yeah. And you know what? There's there's something about like this scotch and soda we're drinking Teacher's Highland Cream, which is a pretty easy going blended scotch. That's one of Plyler's favorites. It's adding soda water and ice to that, it it's sort of like you ever seen those diagrams of like a like a car or like some sort of model that's like it's quote unquote exploded and you can see all the parts separate separately and it's just kind of like all taken apart it's like a diagram you know what i'm talking about yes almost looks like a lego set right it's kind of doing that with the flavors in the in in the spirit like you can really pick it apart a lot easier because it's lengthened and you can kind of like oh i'm getting a little bit of you know vanilla and and you know whatever sure it's it's a it's an interesting way to uh taste your spirits
0: yeah i get some uh, really interesting like kind of heather and floral notes yeah. out of that whiskey which um, might be like
1: taking it neat might be it might be too concentrated and too intense yes uh yep. to detect any of that i agree so. and now it's time for the terrifying booze term
0: You've all been waiting for it, and we we really enjoy this kind of segment because it gives us it gives us a moment of uh, of reflection to kind of look at what we do and things that we hear from folks and uh, the conversations that we have, which are wonderful. Uh, the advice we give, and also what we just learned from our guests and our friends and our family, and what what are the things that we think are important to kind of you know just. Paint a, you know, paint a picture with a brush and just say, hey, this is what we think.
1: Yeah, and a reminder. We probably haven't said this since the first episode, but we are actually booze professionals. Yeah, well, of yeah. course. Brandon is a advanced sister I'm a bar manager. So, we, you know, we've, we've seen some things. We've heard some things. J.C. Tasted some things. J.C. And one you're, thing...
0: You're like the most knowledgeable cocktail person I know in real life. Aw, I'm not saying sweet. you're the most knowledgeable cocktail person in the universe. I'm but,
1: definitely not.
0: But in real life, you're like the most... Yeah, you kidding me?
1: Well, that's very sweet of you. Um, so one thing that... it's It's not like nails on a chalkboard, but it's sort of... It's a word that we wish we could tell everyone is just maybe not the best word to use. And that term is smooth. Smooth.
0: This tastes smooth.
1: Oh, it's very smooth. Are you Carlos Santana? It's
0: so smooth. Oh, they opened that bottle of wine up at table 17 and they sent a glass back to the kitchen. Oh, that's the smoothest wine I've ever had before.
1: All right, Rob Thomas. I've heard that for sure. For sure. Right? It's, It's a frustrating term because it doesn't really describe anything. Correct. But what it does describe is something that you could use the term... Balanced balance is a good one. Integrated. Right. Uh, you know, I like to say if something's along those lines, like it has, it has, which is kind of the saying the same thing as smooth, but it has like no rough edges. Like there are certain scotches like Laphroaig 10, I think has some sharp edges on it. Like it's a little too peaty. It's unbalanced. It doesn't have other characteristics to balance it out into a nice round, you know, very right. drinkable scotch. It's good in cocktails, but you know that's kind of all I use it for.
0: Well, I think I and I guess to frame it up in in my mind what what I kind of see the word smooth as is it and, it and it forgive me folks because I know a lot of folks use this, a lot of my friends use this, so I try to be very very diplomatic and very kind of delicate in how I how I kind of speak about this term. But essentially, if you're saying something tastes smooth, you're bear with me here, but you're almost kind of telegraphing out that you're not super experienced, not super knowledgeable about something. And there's not a damn thing wrong with that. Not a damn thing wrong with that. But I also know a lot of people who have been using that word for a while and they, they, they want to seem as though they are very cultured in kind of booze stuff. And, and again, you don't have to be super knowledgeable or cultured in booze stuff to enjoy it. Now, I think that's a really big point to kind of make. So smooth is one of those things. Jace mentioned some great, great words, great vocabulary. uh, And I use those very frequently. Um, The word that I like to use is seamless. If you're tasting a wine or a beer or a spirit and you're, you're in a place where there's no sharp edges, it's not super boozy, super out of control. It's not, if it's a wine, it's not super tannic. It's not super acidic if you're tasting something and you can't really you can't if it's seamless and you can't really tell where one flavor ends and the other begins that to me is like beguiling and super interesting because you can have a glass of wine or a beer or spirit and that makes that it makes it an intellectual kind of process like you can sip that and enjoy it and you can Get something new, aroma and flavor-wise, every time you put your nose in the glass and every time you taste it. And that is what a lot of the booze world is, like, trying to shoot for. Not not 100%, not every time, but that is something, especially, like, in the wine and beer world, we're kind of looking for.
1: Yeah, I mean, smooth is a marketing term. That's That's... Something that has been put out into the into the market in multiple ads for liquor, wine, beer, whatever. A nice, even, smooth taste to refresh every blah, 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 you know. That's I mean, it's the same thing as like going like cracking open a Coca-Cola and being like, This is refreshing. That's what the ad says. You know, like that right. don't What do you think about it? Like, do you think that it What I mean, do you think it's harsh in any way? Do you think that you know, it's got uh, off any sort of like off. What do you not like about it? Like that's unfortunately, that's kind of the way to, you know, evaluate what you're going to, you know, spend your money on is, is it, is it really smooth? Did you just, you know, someone gave you a shot of crown Royal apple flavor, whatever shit. And you're like, wow, that is really smooth. I barely noticed it. You barely noticed it. Is that what you want? That's, and it's fine if that is, but I feel like, there's a, well, I feel like I know there is much better thing. There's much better way to spend your time, energy, and money as far as booze goes. There's interesting things out there that are still easy to drink. Yeah. Like, smooth also implies like it's easy to drink. It didn't hurt. <laughs> like, if something hurts going down, right. like, uh, that's you know that's not for you. Like, well, yeah. Okay. And and I, I I mean, listen. I've been looking at that bottle of OFTD over there, and I know it hurts, but I love it. You but, you can you can have some if you want, buddy. Not I'm, a problem. Okay, I'm okay right now. Maybe after maybe after we stop. But
0: but but but, but contextually, that is that is also a thing that kind of comes up. At, like if if something almost doesn't taste like alcohol, then a lot of like novice drinkers, and and, and again, not trying to pick on anyone, but. I know, like I remember when I was like a very novice drinker, that's what it was about. If you could drink something that didn't really have a burn, didn't really have a big alcohol taste, then that was considered to be great because it tasted like something else, but you got the effects of alcohol. And that was like a big selling point. Yeah. Now, that's also that's also problematic, and this kind of comes back to where we started here as far as like, you know, highball, hot weather, drinking, you know, don't drink alcohol to refresh yourself. It, it's one of those things that we're running into uh, with the beer world. And and again, don't don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, I'm a big fan of Hazy IPA. I like those. Uh, I don't like them more than, like, West Coast IPA or some more traditional things. But there again, you know, I remember when West Coast IPA wasn't a traditional thing. And that's not too many years ago, to be honest mm-hmm. with y'all. Uh, But these new IPAs have uh, they have more mouthfeel. They have low bitterness. They're quite frankly like sweeter type beers and they're rounder. And you could argue that, you know, because they don't have that bittering kind of edge that makes them appetizing that they are, in fact, smoother. Uh, You could say the same thing with uh, a lot of the big pastry imperial stout things we're saying. They're big, strong beers. They have a lot of residual sugar. I mean, I've seen some of the, like, gravities on those beers, like, where they start and where they finish. And the finishing point, uh, which is how much sugar has not been fermented out, consumed by the yeast to make alcohol and everything else, um, there's, like, another beer left in that beer. Like, if they fermented it longer, there's, like, another, like, 5% alcohol beer left in that beer. And there's, like, vanilla and coffee and hazelnut extract and maybe they threw a couple of cheeseburgers in there, and <laughs> and listen, if extra you extra
1: special sauce,
0: if you enjoy those beers, that's totally awesome. I love that. Um, but at a point, you have to say, is this the only thing I'm going to be drinking? And it seems like a lot of folks are kind of uh, into that mode with hazy IPA and a lot of the pastry stouts, and it is round and smooth, and it is very sweet and mouth filling. But it's one of those things like. I and and again, I'm I'm going out on a limb here, and people may not like me for this, but if you're drinking a lot of those heavily flavored things or very sweet things, I mean, and again, sweet wine, sweet anything's fine, but if you're drinking those things, are you really into drinking alcohol, or do you just want something that tastes like something else that gives you that effect of the alcohol?
1: Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's I mean, you might as well be drinking espresso martinis or. God forbid, like chocolate martinis, quote unquote. Oh, dude, mudslides. Do you
0: remember those? Of course, yeah. I remember I remember in high school, for sure, like half gallons of like TGIF, you know, yep. like half gallons of mudslide, like mix that you would add vodka or whatever to. And that's what it was meant to do. It was meant to taste like ice cream, but it got you drunk at the same time.
1: Which is a nightmarish scenario that is a
0: nightmarish hangover for <laughs> sure a nightmarish you don't want to live through it hangover
1: you know listen get get a <laughs> just ball, end it <laughs> get a bottle
0: of vodka and get like a case of water and just drink a bottle of water and every time just knock out a shot and that's good
1: Cheers, man. Cheers, brother. This has been another episode of Pocket Liquor. Thank
0: you all for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, If you're into the show, uh, how you can help us out, uh, go to Apple iTunes and throw us a rating. We really appreciate it. Uh, It could be just like a regular star rating. You can write us a review. We really appreciate that. You really have no idea how much that kind of helps us out.
1: It really does. It doesn't just help our egos, which are which need all the help they can get. Uh, but it, it really does help us, you know, get some more listeners and, you know, maybe we can expand the show and start doing more cool, more, you know, bigger things. More things. If, if you're a fan of the show, I hope that's what you want. Uh, <laughs> you don't want this to stay a small batch, uh, very uh, esoteric, hard to find, um, limited release podcast. Um, we we want to do more things and bigger, better things. So please uh, tell your friends tell you know anyone anyone you know who drinks if they're interested in booze and maybe want to learn more or maybe they want to make fun of us I don't care that's fine if they're listening that's great please give us a rating and a review also as always a huge special thanks to cathead distillery out of jackson mississippi they're one of the coolest distilleries in the country in my humble opinion which you know is not that humble so if you see those guys on the shelf give them some support they make vodka that is Fantastic.
0: The Bristo Gin, man, is fantastic. Bristo Gin is
1: amazing. Yeah. And you know what? I've stopped carrying Kalua at my bar. Sorry, Kalua. I use Hoodoo chicory Liqueur for my White Russians. I like that a lot, man. It's really it's good. Very, very
0: good. It's it's dude, great White Russian. Great dude, White Russian with that. It's
1: drier. Like it, it's yep. it's it. Honestly, like I didn't do that just because they like support the show. I honestly <laughs> like it better. We don't make a ton of White Russians at my restaurant, but if you order a White Russian at my place, you're gonna get a better one because we're using. Hoodoo chicory liqueur from Cathead Distilling, out of Jackson, Mississippi. Hell Give yeah! Give them your support; they deserve it more than the other ones. We'll see y'all next time.
0: Thank y'all.